You're listening to a sermon from Tyler Christian Fellowship in Tyler, Texas. Find us on the web at tcftyler.com or send us an email, tcftyler at gmail.com. Today we're going to talk about the, uh, the reality of any endeavor that we have, really any endeavor uh, in, in the world or in your life or in your family or work, uh, but especially in the kingdom of God. Give me the next one there. Oh. There it is, staying faithful under fire. Um, I think I told you um, at the beginning, um, there's been several refer- references to the enemy and the work of the enemy as we've been going through this. I'm kind of saving that up, so I'm not really going to talk that much about the enemy today, but I am going to talk about conflict uh, and what God wants us to do. It's more important for us to know what God has called us to do um, than it is to necessarily worry about what the tactics um, of the enemy uh, are. Um, I'm reminded of... Um, uh, William Tecumseh Sherman, who was a, a, a Union general, um, and he was describing um, Ulysses Grant, and he said, "There's one thing about Ulysses Grant; uh, he doesn't he, he doesn't care what the enemy uh, is doing, uh, huh? Is it? It's I got a green light." Check, mic check, one, two, three. Anybody? Are we here? Okay, good. Hey, we're here. <laughs> is my mic on, I guess is what I'm asking. Can y'all hear it? All right, I got yeses and noes, so we'll forge ahead. Anyway, he says of his friend, uh, Ulysses Grant, uh, he says that the one thing about him is uh, he doesn't uh, care what the enemy is doing, but uh, Sherman said, but it scares me to death. Uh, and that's the difference between, you know, somebody who is uh, effective uh, at, uh, at warfare um, and somebody uh, who maybe uh, in has some things to learn about it. Um, so that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about our part uh, of it. And um, uh, this is kind of the key, one of the key verses from uh, the passage that we're going to read today. Um, let me just pause and pray, okay? Heavenly Father, I just... Uh, call upon you today, Lord, to just be in our midst. We want to hear your word, Lord, and we want to know your ways, and we want to be formed into the image of Jesus Christ, Lord. Uh, Your word gives life. I pray today, Lord, that it would give us life. I pray, Lord, um, that as the word is shared this morning, Lord, that it would be like the breaking of bread uh, to nourish us, Lord, to strengthen us, Lord, Um, and that we would um, be able, Lord Jesus, to hear what you're saying. Uh, Give us ears to hear, Lord, what you're saying to us, and to the body of Christ today. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, verse 6 of uh, Nehemiah chapter 4 says, So we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together at half its height, for the people had a mind uh, to work. And I think that's the key to to understanding the success um, that Nehemiah and the people had to this point, um, is that they all had a mind um, to work. A couple of things that we talked about that bring us to this place that we've talked about in uh, the previous weeks. Um, first of all is the, uh, the continual reminder that God's hand uh, was with them. From the very beginning, from the planning stages, 
um, from the first steps that they took, um, from coming in back to Jerusalem, um, from uh, uh, Nehemiah's inspection firsthand of the work that's before them, and then sharing that with the people. And what we talked about last, last week is that the people built the wall that was adjacent to them, that was where they lived. So they're building a wall to protect their own house as well as building a, a wall to, um, to protect the city. Um, the second thing that we talked about is how God had given them favor and that they had everything that they needed. They had, they had everything that they needed to complete this work before they ever started the work. Um, as far as materials goes, as far as the favor of the king uh, went, um, as far as um, authority went, we talked about how um, the king had given, them, given him letters, but he'd also given him a military detachment um, to be able to escort them, look, a military escort um, to get there. They had everything that they needed um, to begin and to, to, uh, to uh, complete the work. And then we also talked about the, the presence of the enemy, the fact that there was an enemy present right from the very beginning. That's the reason why there was a need for a military escort, that there was a need for strength, and there was a need to, to recognize that there was adversity that was going to come and that they were prepared um, for that. This, this week we're going to kind of enlarge um, upon that. But what I really want to remind you of today is, is where we're coming from, is that Nehemiah wants to build a wall, but God wants to build a people. That wall was just an identification of the nation. It was, a, it was a safe place for them to grow and to build, but it was more than just that. It was, it, it was God was saying, these are my people. These people had been, had been sold, sold off into slavery. They had lost um, everything. And they had been captive for 70 years. And God didn't just want to restore a wall. He wanted to restore a people. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever been there? Just at a place of like brokenness or devastation or just maybe just disappointment or disillusionment. And you look at your life and you're just like, is any of this real? Does, does any, any of this make any difference? You look at yourself and you look at your life and you're not seeing what you're expecting to see. In fact, it looks sometimes like the, the enemy has just had his, his way with you. Well, the difference between Israel and, and their enemies is that Israel saw this as being the hand of God. They didn't see it just as being some random thing where they weren't strong enough and they were defeated. They recognized that they had not worshipped God, they had not been faithful to God, and they were suffering the consequences of that. But they also recognized that God had promised if this ever happens to you, I'm going to rescue you. I'm going to rebuild you. I'm going to remake you into my image. And life is like that, man. You'll, you'll go through life over and over again, and you will be broken, and you will look at your life, and you will say, you know, is this the end of the world? And the fact is, sometimes it is the end of the world as you know it. But it's not necessarily the end of the world. God always has a purpose and he always has a plan. And just like he has maybe allowed some things to happen in your life, you can, you can count on the fact that he's always looking forward. He's always looking toward tomorrow. He's always got a plan. Amen? You guys with me on that? So that's, that's where we have come to. God is much more interested in building a people than um, building a wall. Because the kingdom of God is people. It's not a building. Okay? It's not a structure. Um, it's not necessarily a physical presence. The, the kingdom of God is us. It's people. This is his dwelling place. This is his sanctuary. This is the place where God wants to dwell. And he's always interested in building us. 
He's always interested in doing a deep work in our hearts that changes us more and more and more into the image of Jesus Christ and also for we, uh, us to build the kingdom of God by building into lives. And that's what this chapter is going to be all about. Um, before I get to read it, I just want to um, kind of make some observations. Um, this uh, chapter 4 begins with um, uh, Sanballat and Tobiah. Um, and then it goes into the building of the wall. When we got to chapter verse, verse 6, it says, So we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together. I'm not going to talk that much about the enemy today. I'm not saying that he's not important. But I'm saying that there's something more important that's happening in the second half of the chapter than is happening in the first half of the chapter that allows them to be able to address what's going on with Sanballat uh, and Tobiah. Sometimes God takes the long way around. Sometimes, have you ever had, like, something happen in your life and you're just like, what the heck? That's not what I expected. This is what we were planning. This is what we were doing, right? And then you, you look at it and it's not going that way. It's going a completely different way. Um, and there's a reason for that. When God uh, took Israel out of uh, Egypt, um, I don't know if you remember the story or not, but they actually did not go straight to Israel. And this is before they had spied out the land or before they had been unfaithful to God or anything else, before God had said, I'm going to put you in, uh, in the wilderness for 40 years until this whole generation passes away. When they came out of Egypt, they started toward the promised land and then they took a right turn. It's like, that's the way. And God's like, no, not yet. Do you remember the reason why? is because they, if they had gone straight to the land of the Philistines, and that's where the straight line would have gone, they would have immediately fallen into conflict. They would immediately have been uh, having to, to, um, to make war, uh, to make any progress. So God sent them into the wilderness where there wasn't, the enemy wasn't out in the wilderness. They were just there with God. And that's what God wanted. He wanted to take some time with them to train them because they had come out of bondage. They had come out of uh, 400 years in Egypt of being slaves. And slaves do not know how to protect themselves. Slaves are dependent on somebody else to provide for them all the time. Slaves' identity is helplessness. That's their whole identity. And God was saying, you can't fight that way. You have to, be, you have, to ha have your own mind transformed to where you see yourself as you are in me and not as you were under pharaoh and this is the same thing that these people are dealing with they have been in 70 years in bondage that they were guilty of and that they richly deserved but god was saying i'm not done with you yet and i have to change that mentality from being dependent and being helpless and being afraid to speak up and being afraid that you, you can't take up arms that's what that's what slavery always does is it, it instills a sense of hopelessness and when you've been through that you have to have that change before anything on the outside changes so that's why god said as he took them you know uh, took a right turn they, they weren't going straight into the promised land they were going into the wilderness why so they could be alone for a little while with god so he could begin to show himself to them reveal his glory to them so he could begin to form an identity in them that they were going to see 
that there was something much mightier than Pharaoh or much mightier than um, Artaxerxes or any, any other foreign power. That sense of powerlessness is what God wanted to address, and I think he wants to address that in us as well. If you've ever been to the place where you just feel like you're overwhelmed, like your heart sinks, you know what I'm talking about? You may be there today, and God wants you to know, don't grow weary, don't faint, don't fear, believe, because he has a great work for us to do. When I was growing up, we used to, um, when we would come home from, go, go home from school sometimes, my dad would pick us up, and uh, we'd, a lot of times we would say, let's take the long way. Because like, if we went straight home, it would take maybe 20, 20 minutes, something like that. But when we took the long way, we came to our home from a different direction than we were used to. And we saw sights that we didn't normally see. And we experienced that trip, that journey, in a different way. But I'll tell you what, he a lot of times chose the long way. And most of the time when he chose the long way, it's because he wanted to talk to us about something. He wanted to talk to us about, you know, lots of different things that you can't, like in the context of the home or in the context of the normal drive, he wanted to spend some time with us. And he had some things that he wanted to talk about and that he wanted to share. And man, those things are so precious to me today. But boy, it can be so frustrating when you're just expecting to get to that destination and you find yourself taking all of these turns and all of these, you know, detours and stuff like that. And God's like, it's not a detour. This is the way. (laughs) This is the right way to go. Trust me. I'm taking you. And maybe it's just because he wants to talk to you. Maybe it's because he wants to get you out of your routine mentality and say something that you weren't expecting or something that you need to hear, some way to prepare you for what is to come. These people needed to be tempered. They needed to be tried by fire. Tempered. Tempered is when, it, when you heat it up, you take a sword and you heat it up, and then you cool it off, and then you heat it up again and you pound it, and then you cool, cool it off again, and then you heat it up again and you pound it. That's the Christian life, man. That's your experience. That's what it is. You ever, ever felt like that? If you didn't know the process, you would think something terrible was going on, something terribly wrong here. And God's like, no. I'm tempering you. I'm strengthening you. I'm preparing you for what's ahead. Another aspect of, uh, of, of uh, servanthood or, or slavery um, is that you're not, working, you're not working for yourself. You're not working under your own initiative. And that's something that God has to, has to deliver us from, is that a slave expects to be taken care of. But a person who's a free man knows that if it's going to get done, he has to do it himself. Please stick with me. I'm not saying that we're not dependent on God. I'm saying that we're not sitting idly by on our hands expecting something to be built or for somebody to tell us what to do. We're taking initiative. We know that what God has called us to do, he expects us to do, but we also know that there's hard work involved in doing it. And a slave does what they have to do. I worked with a guy one time that kept butting heads with the boss, and, uh, and the boss um, told him, you know, he's sending, sending him to do a job, and their relationship was so tense and so strained that this guy came to the boss, and he said, look, just write down on a piece of paper what you want me to do, and the boss fired him. Do you understand where he's coming from? He's like, if I have to stand over you and tell you everything, every individual thing to do, I, I, it's, it's a waste of time. Take some initiative. 
dream some dreams. Look at what needs to be done. The boss can't stand over you all the time and tell you the individual stuff. He's trusting your judgment. He's trusting your ability to make good decisions and to work hard under your own initiative, not because you're under his thumb. So let's read, uh, actually, I didn't put all of it up. It's pretty long um, verses, but I put part of it up that we'll come back and talk about. So if you have your Bibles um, or your electronic device, uh, Nehemiah chapter 4, uh, verses 1 through 23, and I'll read it, and then we'll come back and talk about it. Now when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Syria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, yes, what they are building, if a fox goes up on it, he will break down, under, he will break down their stone wall. And I, I can't resist just pausing for a second and talking about these guys just for a second, okay? But let them underestimate what you're doing. Let them underestimate. Let them, let them disrespect it. Let them think that it'll never work. You don't think that. You know that what you're doing and what God has given you to do is important work and that it's not just a, a, a bunch of, you know, a wasted effort, feeble attempt. The enemy, we, I don't care if the enemy thinks that of it, and surely he does. When he looks at the church and when he looks at you, he sees nothing but weakness. He sees nothing but failure, and that's what he's constantly whispering in your ear. But when we look at what we're doing, we see Jesus. We see a Savior. We see grace. We see God's power and ability. We see the authority and we see the power in our lives. We cannot afford to take his word for it. Part of this is because he wants to... Is that me? Got me? Oh, yeah, you can turn me down a little bit. Scared the baby. I think she's responsible for that. I think she started all that when she's messing with my headset. Anyway, the enemy can underestimate you, and it's just a tactic of the enemy because he knows the potential that's there, but I don't think, when he looks at the church, I don't think that he's, we're capable, he thinks we're capable of doing this. I think he thinks God's plan is a failed plan. I think he does. He's afraid of God, but he's not afraid of us when we're walking in our own strength. The stuff that he said about Job, he fully believes that kind of stuff. We can't afford to believe that, guys. We can't afford to believe that. We can't afford to look at ourselves and take the enemy's word for it. We get our definition of who we are. We get our identity of who we are from the one that we have trusted our lives to and who indwells us and who lives within us. I could go on, but I don't want to talk about those guys. There's more to say. Okay, so verse 4 of chapter 4 of uh, Nehemiah. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. This is Nehemiah now praying. And you'll notice that Nehemiah does this a lot. 
He prayed to begin this whole thing, to start the ball rolling, but at every juncture, every time he runs into something like this, the first reflex for him is to go to God. He says, Hear, O God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. And verse 6, so we built the wall. And the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. So they're halfway there. They, they begin to build the wall, not just in one spot or another spot or another spot, but they began to build the whole wall all at one time, each one working in their separate areas, and they're halfway there now. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites, which is, by the way, quite an alliance, um, heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. In Judah it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, you must return to us. So they were talking about leaving the work. So in the lowest parts of the space between the wall, in open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords and their spears and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. For remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, for your sons, for your daughters, for your wives and your homes. And when our enemies heard it, heard that it was known to us that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. Verse uh, uh, 15, 16 now. For from that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail, and the leaders stood uh, behind the whole house of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried burdens, those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread and we are separated on the wall far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. So we labored at the work and half of them held spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. I also said to the people at that time, let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem that they may, not be, uh, that they may be a guard for us by night and, um, by, and may labor by day. So neither I nor my brothers nor my servants nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes, each kept his weapon at his right side. This is such a critical stage 
in this work. God has been with them. God has given them provision. God has given them passage to Jerusalem. God has blessed them as they began to, to do the work of the wall. But I'll tell you what, man, the devil is always looking to get us off track. And it can be our fault or his fault or nobody's fault, but something, he's, he's always trying to get us discouraged. And especially when he sees the work progressing. God wants us to finish well. And there's a key to finishing well. And that's keeping your eyes on the work that God has given you to do. Not getting distracted with it. I'm not saying that the enemy is not important. He's, he's important. There's two different things that we can do. We can either underestimate him or we can overestimate him. And what God wants us to do is to keep our focus on him and know that the enemy is dangerous. There is loss, guys, in this world. There is loss. We can't be children. We have to be at least mature enough to recognize that there is loss. People can lose things that, that is irreplaceable. Does God, is God going to say, oh, well, that's it, it's over? No. But what he wants us to do is be vigilant and not lose those things. People can give up things. Opportunities can pass because we are not up to the, we're not aware of what's going on. Can God come in and rescue? Yes, he can come in and rescue, but I think he's after something more than that. I think he's after us being sober and vigilant and making sure that the enemy doesn't have the, the ability to, to put us off our game and get us sidetracked and distracted. He's teaching, teaching these people to deal with adversity. They have been in captivity. They don't know how to fight. I don't know where they got the swords from. They must have gotten the swords from Artaxerxes. But the sword in the hand of a person who doesn't know how to fight is pretty useless unless they're ready and willing and able to learn to put that to use. They are not a finished product. They are, they are being formed by all of this. He wants them to learn to deal with adversity individually and as a people. Verse, um, in verse 19 it says, And I said to the nobles, to the officials, and to the rest of the people, The work is great and widely spread, and we are separated on the wall far from one another, in the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally us there. Rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. See how this, is, this guy knows. He knows something about military um, uh, tactics. Um, there's a story from the Civil War about um, a guy that was called the, I think it was called the Rock of Chickamauga, in the Battle of Chickamauga, which was a great um, victory for the Union, but almost a disaster. And the reason why it was almost a disaster, the two armies were faced off across, uh, against each other, and somebody gave an order. They thought that there was a gap in the Union line, so they gave an order to transfer some, some guys from a part of the line that was not in contest to a part of the line that they thought that there was a gap, but there was no gap there. But in, in going to, to, to fill that gap, they created a gap, and that's where the Confederates came in. That is deadly dangerous. In the kingdom of God, you guys. It may not be true in a pilot club or in a you know, social group, but in, a, in, a, in the kingdom of God, which is continually under fire. Gaps are deadly. Gaps allow the enemy to come in and strike you from the back or from the side. And it's terribly hard to defend against stuff like that. That's why our relationships with each other are so vital 
Let me, let me just talk to TCF for a second, okay? Because our church, the thing that I love about our church and the thing that most of you guys love about our church is that we're so relational, genuinely relational. We genuinely love each other and we genuinely care for each other deeply. The downside to that is when relationships fail, we got nothing. <laughs> Are you with me? We have to be vigilant in our relationships. We cannot allow there to be gaps in our relationship and hostility to break up between us and, and, uh, and unforgiveness. We have, got to, we have got to close ranks. We have got to love one another with the love of Jesus Christ. We have got to forgive quickly. We have got, got not listening to the, to the voice of the accuser that will turn us against our brothers. Because the work is widespread. And it's really important that we all rally to the trumpet, to God's cause and God's part, when we hear the trumpet. Because your brothers and your sisters need you. If you're in conflict with somebody, the most important thing that you can do is pray for yourself first. And do what God has given you to do. What you know is the right thing to do. Not because they deserve it, but because God says, I want you to be one as, as I and the Father. Jesus said, as I and the Father are one. God is building his people, first of all, by teaching us to deal with adversity. Life is complicated. Amen? Life is complicated. It's going to be complicated whether you're following Jesus Christ or not following Jesus Christ. But if you're living in some kind of fairy tale world, thinking, I give my life to Jesus and everything's going to be rosy, no, everything is not going to be rosy either way. But with Jesus, you got some hope. Okay? He's teaching us to deal with adversity. Just like he taught Israel, he brought them out. He didn't bring them directly into conflict. He brought them out so that he could have them alone with himself. That's why we, each one of us has to have that alone time with God. We have to have that preparation time with God. We have to let adversity drive us to, to, to God first before we begin to deal with that. We have to let the Lord um, teach us. We don't, we, don't we don't know what we don't know. That's profound, I know. But we don't know what we don't know. And he does. And he, we don't know what we are missing. He does. He knows what we're missing. And he's teaching us to do that. There's been so many times in the life of TCF and in my ministry where I have been confronted with something that is just heartbreaking, disappointing, uh, intimidating. And my mantra has been, not that I have a mantra, but the thing that I keep myself over and over again, is I have to do what God has given me to do. I can't let this distract me, and I can't let this stop me. I'll be working with somebody, and, and the whole thing falls apart. And I could stop and try to you know, deal with that, or I can just continue to do what God has given me to do. To build the kingdom of God, to build people, to love God, to forgive to do the, the, just the ABCs, the fundamentals of what God has given me to do. And it has carried us through, has carried me through some really difficult times. Something that I wanted to say last week that I didn't, didn't get to is that uh, when they were talking about people building the wall, I've been here for, let's see, this, this year it will be, how many years? 40 years. It'll be 40 years that I've been here. I've, I've been saved, I got saved here um, 
I got baptized here. Um, I was a worship leader here for um, eight or nine years. I was associate pastor here for, again, eight or nine years, and I've been senior pastor for 20-plus um, years. And through all of that time that I've been here, I have had the privilege of working shoulder-to-shoulder shoulder and side-by-side side with some of the best people that I know. And when I see that story of Nehemiah, of these people sacrificing and courageous and building the wall, it reminds me so much of TCF through the years. But I also want to say this. A lot of those people are not here anymore. Some of them have moved. Some of them have gone on to glory. But some of them have left. And I am committed that if somebody has in any way had a part in building this place, they're my brother. They're my sister. We're, even if we have a disagreement about something, I'm not going to let that disagreement ruin my relationship with somebody. Do you hear what I'm saying? That's the, the devil wants to break us up. He wants to isolate us. He wants to turn us against each other. And by God, I won't do that. I will not treat my brother like an enemy. And if they have left under, under difficult circumstances, my fault, their fault, anybody's fault, what I want to do is to continue to maintain a loving relationship with them. Why? Because they have built this wall. They have built this wall. They have sweated. They have dreamed. They have done what I have tried to do as well. And I am privileged to have worked side by side with them. I'm not just worked up, guys. I'm serious about this. I think it's, it's way, there's way too much um, backbiting and hatred and unforgiveness and bitterness in the body of Christ. I see it, on, not here, but I see it on every turn. People talking about how somebody has done them wrong and somebody has you know, uh, you know, disappointed them or, or turned their back on them and stuff like that. And you know what I say? I say by, maintain you know, the unity of the brethren to whatever degree you can. And a kind word and a loving word Kindness in those conditions is like water on dry ground, man. It's like water on dry ground. It gives people the ability to heal. And the worst thing I can think of is somebody leaving this work that they loved and that they wanted so much to be a part of and all of that and ended up going a different direction. Some of it's God, some of it's just human frailty, human flesh, you know? The worst thing possible is for them to leave and become ineffective in the body of Christ. If they're going to leave, then, then God bless them that they continue to build somewhere on the wall, that they find their place somewhere on the wall. If you're scratching your head, then you know all I'm saying is I really felt like God wanted me to share that with us, that that's a value, that's something that we value and something that we, we strive for in building the kingdom of God. He wants to teach us to deal with adversity. Uh, to be sober-minded. And I've got, I'll use that Scripture at the very end. Uh, we'll come back to it in just a second in 1 Peter, where he says to be sober-minded and watchful. He wants to teach us to be vigilant and sober-minded. We don't live our lives in fear. If you're living your life in fear today, I can tell you God's got a better way. He's got a better way. Because fear is a tactic of the enemy. But grace is, is God's plan for you, not fear. 
If you turn your attention to the enemy, he will fill your mind and your heart with, with fear. That's what he will do. If you listen to his voice, you will be drawn into it. Because listen, a lot of times it makes sense. It's not that it doesn't make sense. It's just that there's something big left out of the equation. And that's God. He will, he will, he will convince you of something. We have to recognize that we have an enemy. Even Jesus, after he was tempted in the wilderness, do you remember what it said about the, the enemy? Jesus answered him three times. Boom, he had the definitive word from the word, just like we have access to that same word. Talking about somebody having a sword strapped to their, their side, the sword is the word of God, and it's effective. We're going to talk about our weapons next week when we talk about the, the enemy and the, and the uh, tactics of the enemy. But we, we have that sword, and, and he had, that's what he used against the enemy. And after he had, he had answered him definitively three times, it says that the devil withdrew, and what was he doing next? What was his next tactic? He was looking for an opportunity. Good luck with that, with Jesus. But he's always looking for an opportunity. And it's, sometimes that's the worst, is when we are successful, that he's looking for an opportunity to use that success against us we can we always have to be vigilant we never have to we never can leave the door open we never can leave the gates of the city wide open to anything we always have to be vigilant and use good judgment recognizing the threat and who is our enemy by the way that we have to be vigilant against because it's not just the devil the person that's eating your lunch may be just your flesh. It may, not, it may be you. You may be the one that needs to stop and say, hey, I just need, a, I need some extra discipline in this area. I can't just be, you know, laissez-faire about it and like whatever comes, comes. I have to recognize the, the, the responsibility that I have to, to live this life in this flesh in a way that glorifies God and not to take it for granted. Otherwise, we will fall. Are you guys with me today? This is serious stuff. I, I know, I know. It's, and this is, this is kind of heavy stuff. And, and I'm, I hope I'm not coming across in a way that you oughta or you shoulda or you coulda, but in coming across in a way that Jesus has a way through this for us, but He doesn't want us to be children in that way. And He wants to teach us to work. And working is a characteristic of a mature person. I'll say that again. Working, hard work, is a characteristic of a mature person. A grown-up works. A grown-up doesn't sit around, you know, watching Netflix, waiting for something to fall into his lap. Okay? I'm not saying you can't watch Netflix. I'm just saying as a lifestyle, thinking that you're going to get anywhere without actually working for it, rolling up your sleeves and doing the hard work that comes with building something. And that's how the kingdom of God is built. Now, I... I I know that God could just miraculously create it and it would all just fall into our laps. But He loves to partner with real people. He loves to, to, um, to, uh, to shame the enemy because the enemy looks at you and says, they can't do it. And Jesus says, watch this. Just watch. He could do it Himself. But He wants us to do it. And in order to do it, we have to be grown-ups in our mind. We can't exist on magic thinking. Magical thinking will kill you. It's okay for a kid to think of, of magic thinking. But for a grown-up, you realize that if you're going to have it, you're going to have to work for it. 
If you're going to achieve it, you're going to have to make plans and you're going to have to take every bit of the grace of God that's in your life and point it somewhere and roll up your sleeves and get after it. Does that sound works-oriented? Does that sound like, um, you know, like legalistic or something like that? There's lots of parts of the Bible that prove that that is true. That God is partnering with us and He is, listen to me, He is doing the heavy lifting. He is doing the hard work. He's doing the impossible stuff. But He has left stuff for us to do as well to partner with Him. And sometimes just our part seems impossible. But it's not. But it's essential. It's very important for us. The other one is dependent, dependence on others. He's teaching us to work to not be dependent on somebody else. I understand. The Bible's got something to say on both sides of this, right? So almost right after each other in the Bible, it says, um, bear one another's burdens. And then right after that, it says, let each person bear his own burdens. Which one is true? How can it be true? How can it be that I bear my own burden and I bear other people's burdens? That it's saying, don't be dependent on other people and be dependent on other people. Because both of them are necessary. We are not sufficient in ourselves, but we should do everything that we can possibly do. Not just for ourselves, but for others. In Louisiana, they call that lanyap. Anybody ever heard the term lanyap? Uh, my dad's in the nursing and the uh, assisted living, and uh, we were talking to um, uh, to a woman who was in charge of his home health, and she was describing it to him, and she said, "Now you know we'll pay for this and we'll pay for that," and she said, "And we also pay for this, and that's just lanyap." And I said, "Only in Louisiana would somebody, you know, that's describing you know medical benefits describe it as lanyap." But it's a great word. It, what it means is it's like when you go and you and you uh, you get a bowl of gumbo. You know, and you got your little bowl like that, and they pull out a big bowl and they fill that big bowl up. That's lanyap. When you go to a fish fry in Louisiana and you got your plate, and they don't even know what the plate's for because they're going to put newspaper on the table and they're going to pile fish that that high. That's lanyap. That's what that's what God's blessing is always. It's always coming from a from a generous standpoint and far above and beyond. That's what we want to be for other people. Because that's what God is for us. We're not worried about the provision. The provision is always going to be there. We're worried about the generosity in our own hearts. That's where the battle is being fought. He's teaching us to work. He's, he's growing us up so that we're, we're putting aside childish things. John said, uh, when I was a child, I, I'm, I'm sorry, P, Paul said, when I was a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Childish things like magical thinking. Childish things like expecting everything to just happen without me putting any effort into it. Childish things like saying I'm completely always going to be dependent on somebody else to do it for me. Anybody work with kids? You know what I'm talking about there? Give them something to do, and they're like, well, you do it for me. And you're like, no, that's not the way it works. <laughs> Can't do it for the whole class. You wouldn't learn anything. Try it. Do it bad. Do it badly. But at least do it. We can correct it if you're just trying. That's what, that's what um, he's trying to deliver us from. And then also he wants us to 
um, in, to have a mature mind putting aside being disillusioned at the least amount of resistance. How many great things start off and then it gets complicated and then it gets hard and then people just abandon it? You know? He wants us to be mature in our minds. To be able to see it through. And when we, when we, when we embark on an endeavor, we immediately say, I know there's going to be resistance to this. I know there's going to be disappointments to this. Nevertheless, God has given us a good work to do and let's do it. Start with your home. Start with your relationships with people. You have dreams about what your friendship could be with these people. I can tell you it's going to be disappointing. There's going to be disappointment. There's going to be parts that you didn't plan on. Nevertheless, do what God has given you to do. Accepting adversity and disappointment as a fact of life and to not be so easily uh, disillusioned. I, I hate to use the word disillusioned because we shouldn't be under any illusions, right? And God shakes everything, and part of that is to remove the illusions. But the illusion that God loves you, that's not an illusion. The, the, um, the, the fact um, that God wants our relationships to be better than, than uh, the world, that's not an illusion. That's real. The fact that He wants to use us, and I'm talking about every single one of us, every single one of us is good at something in ways that nobody else on the face of the earth is. God uniquely crafted you and uniquely built you and uniquely gifted you to do some things. Don't you let anybody tell you that you're a failure. Don't you let anybody tell you that you're incapable of doing what God has supplied and has empowered you to do. All right, and then finally, this is where we're going next week, but I just wanted to kind of remind you. This is from 1 Peter chapter 5, uh, 8 through 14. It says, Be sober minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. devour. Resist him, firm in your faith knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. I don't know if you guys have been like reading the paper or aware of some of the persecution that's going on in the rest of the world. And sometimes people look at the American church like we're, we're soft. You know, we're like, um, you know, these people are, are you know, but listen, let me, let me just tell you this. That faith is your faith. That's the same faith. It's the faith of God. It's not something that we do. And if you were under pressure, and if, you, if God put you in a, a situation like that, you could do what they're doing because it's from God. It's not from us. Value what you have. When you see your brothers and sisters enduring what they're enduring, let it put some backbone in you. Let it, let, it put you, let, it, let it remind you of the God that we serve and the fact that adversity will come. We don't live in a place right now where the shedding of blood is a real possibility. We don't live in a place right now, I'm not in a place right now, some people in America are, where bonds may await them or jail may await them for serving the Lord. But we're not in that place right now. There's opportunities open to us now that may not always be open to us. Let advantage of that let's live this life to glorify god just like they are they're doing it in a different way thank god that i'm not my neck is not on the line but my time is just as valuable as their time my opportunity on this earth to build the kingdom of god is just as valuable as as theirs is and it's, it's jesus that wants to do that and wants to build his church right here in america just like he is throughout the rest of the world amen 
Amen. Okay, we're going to go to the, come to the communion table. And uh, if you're not a member here, you're welcome at this table. I have to say that because I know some traditions are real um, uh, strict about you can't come to the table unless you've been baptized here. Um, but Jesus set this table for everybody. And so if you're here today, don't let that, the fact that you're not from here or that you're not, um, you know, maybe familiar with us, don't let that stop you from the remembrance that this table is about, the bread and the cup and what Jesus paid for that. There's healing in this table right now. And as I've been talking to you today, if there's something in your heart that says, you know, I really want to follow the Lord, I really want to do you know, better and grow in my relationship with God. This is the perfect place to start that. Amen? So as we come to the table this morning, you want to join me? Um, uh, do you know what elders might be? So you got Caleb and Emily. Jay, Tasha. Good. Hallelujah. As always, just love uh, the work that Cindy does to set this table for us. So simple, so beautiful, just like the body of Christ. And um, just really appreciate her labor of love um, to be able to do this. We're so blessed. Amen. So let's come to the table this morning. The Bible tells us to prepare our hearts before we receive um, this. It's, uh, it's not a very big meal, but it's a really important um, step that we're taking. And God wants us to leave today with a clean slate. Okay? He wants us to, right now is our time to do business with God. If the devil is holding anything over you, this is how you deal with it. If the devil is, is, is trying to separate you from God, nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And our remedy is always right here. And that's repentance, but it's also empowerment. God wants us to receive that today. So let's just bow our heads and let the Holy Spirit do that deep work of searching um, our hearts speaking to us. The Bible says, cast your burdens upon him. Thank you, Lord. Oh, Lord, we come to you this morning. We ask for forgiveness, Lord. It is, it only makes sense to confess our sins to you because you already know what they are and what, what we have to say and what we have done, Lord. But it's so important for us to, in humility, come to you and confess, say the same thing about them that you say about them. Search us and try us, Lord. We don't want to be like those people who everything they did was right in their own eyes or justify, they justify uh, everything that they're doing. But we want to come before you, Lord, as a child and hear your word of correction and your word of admonishment. Uh, Lord, the convicting of your spirit, not condemnation or guilt, but just speaking truth to set the captives free. Set us free, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Who can know their own heart? 
but you've given us the Holy Spirit that searches deep within our hearts, searches the deep things of our hearts. Holy Spirit, we want to hear what you have to say to us. step is not to go do something about it. The first step is to acknowledge it and ask for forgiveness. David said, against you and you alone have I sinned. It's not between us and somebody else. It's between us and you, Lord. Forgive us. Forgive us, Lord. And the Bible says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, Lord, we ask you to cleanse us. Remove every spot, every, everything that we have been guilty of, Lord Jesus. Cast it into the sea of forgetfulness, Lord. Remove it from us as far as the east is from the west. We will not be defined by our failures, Lord. We will not let that give us our identity, Lord. So even if we haven't fully walked in what you have purchased for us, it's ours in Christ Jesus. And we are yours in Christ Jesus. So let that sink in. Let that wash over you. Let those chains fall away. Let that prison door open. and Be bold enough to take a step on the outside of that. Thank you for it, Lord. This table fills us with so much joy because you suffered so much to make it possible. And now, Lord, also you said when you bring your offering, if you remember that you have something against somebody, to go and make that right. Today, Lord, as we come, if there is anything that anybody owes us, or anything that we owe to somebody else, we say forgiveness. Forgiveness, Lord. We won't be held by the bond, bonds of the past, Lord, and we won't hold other people by those bonds. But as we have received forgiveness, we extend forgiveness to them. There may be words to share. There may be a conversation that needs to be had. But Lord, it's not to get to forgiveness. It's to demonstrate forgiveness. And that's what we say just between you and us right now, Lord. There's more to be said. We'll say that later. But just between us right now, we say we forgive. And we say we are sorry for the things that we have done to hurt other people. Let that work of healing begin in us. Let it have its deep, deep work in this heart, Lord. We thank you for it. On the night he was betrayed, he took the cup and he gave it to his disciples and says, drink. This is the cup of my blood. This is forgiveness. This is absolute, complete forgiveness. This is a cup that is more valuable than anything we could ever have asked for or expected. 
It's the cup that we don't deserve. Because he drank that bitter cup from the Father. He can extend this to us. And he took the bread and he broke it. And he says, take this and eat it, all of you. But this is my body, which will be broken for you. This is health, this is wholeness, this is strength. Because of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he laid down his life for us. And he nourished us by the breaking of his body. He brought health and healing and life and fullness and completeness to us because he suffered so much and gave his life for us. As we eat it today, let's remember him. Amen. Let's stand together. And we come from the, from the sides, and then you're free to, uh, to go um, after you have received communion. Out of sadness, come wherever you fit. Come, broken-hearted, but Come, find your mercy, oh sinner, come heal. Earth has no sorrow. There.